We've been in this series in Advent, um, and we've been looking at the promises of God, and you recall that uh, two weeks ago when Carl was here, uh, there's the promise that comes in Isaiah that there will be peace. And then last week we talked about there will be justice. And in this morning's passage of Scripture, we're going to hear that there will be I'm going to dive right into the passage of Scripture. Um, This passage is Isaiah 35, uh, verses 1 through 10. So follow along on the screen. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongues of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackal shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there. And it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee. This is the word of God for us. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, in this season of Advent, we come to you with our eyes fixed ahead. Coming of your Son. God, we are filled sometimes with chaotic schedules, busyness, fluff. So in this hour, God, clear all those things from our minds, clear all those things from our hearts, and may you turn our hearts that we might see the promises. The promises that throughout the rest of the year may go unnoticed, but in this season of Advent, we see them clear. The promises and justice. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our A man sits in his prison cell, and he wonders if it was worth it. On some days, he thinks it was worth it. It was totally worth it. I mean, this is what he believed. This is what he had been kind of led to do. This is where he felt God speaking to him and saying, you know, this is what you should be doing. And so he spoke this truth that he believed with all of his might in the world. And it rubs some people the wrong way. But so be it. It's not on him. It's on them. 
It's on the world's fault, the world that wouldn't hear his message. At other times, he doubts himself. And he wonders, was this, was this worth it? I mean, had it been worth it, would I be sitting here in prison? Would I be sitting in this jail cell? And he wonders if he was misled. Maybe he got caught up in the wrong crowd. Maybe he was led astray. Maybe that wasn't God speaking to him, but a world that was speaking to him. Maybe, maybe he was just completely misled. And so he sits there in his prison. He's not much older than 30 years old. He had a whole life ahead of him. People had said he was going to be great. People had encouraged him along the way. But at 30 years old, he's sitting in a prison, and he knows that is going to be where he is going to be. And he waits for his execution. And he wonders, was this worth it? And yet, even in that moment, even in that prison cell, he's filled with joy. Joy is a powerful thing. Um, and it's a powerful thing that we often don't realize. And I think that the reason we don't realize it is because we confuse joy with happiness. They're different. They're radically different. Happiness is an emotion. Uh, happiness is something that we respond is an emotion that we respond to. It's a response from us about things that happen to us. If you read David Brooks, he wrote a new book this year. It's a fantastic book. We, as a staff, read it. We've all a lot of us have read it. It's called The Second Mountain. Um, phenomenal book by David Brooks. And in it, he parses out the difference between happiness and joy. And he says, happiness involves really a victory to the self. It's when you win. It's when you get that promotion and you experience happiness. Or when um, you, get, uh, you reach a goal, you finish the marathon, whatever it might be. You have that great meal that satisfies. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is when Duke wins and Carolina loses. Happiness is, uh, yeah. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is receiving that perfect gift on Christmas morning. But joy is different. Joy isn't an emotion. Joy is a state of being. David Brooks uh, describes joy as it transcends the self. Happiness is all about what happens to you and your response Joy transcends the self and really removes that barrier between you and other things around you. Sometimes it's other people. That barrier, that, that even like just skin barrier seems to disappear. Joy is when a mother sees her child for the first time and looks into the baby's eyes and the baby looks back and kind of locks eyes for a second in that connection. Joy is when a hiker walks through the mountains, and then makes that turn and captures that view that they've been looking for, the completely unexpected view of nature that they weren't thinking they were going to see that day, and they are at one place with nature. Joy is when you give that perfect gift on Christmas. There's a difference between the two. Happiness is good. I'm not saying happiness isn't a good thing. Happiness is a good thing, but joy, joy is better. The lines are blurred between these two because we're built on a society that was literally founded on the principle of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we sometimes go chasing after the wrong thing. Society can sell us happiness. It's easy to sell happiness because you just have to get an emotional response out of someone. Joy is a little bit deeper than that. When we pursue happiness, it's really just kind of a shallow thing that we pursue 
Richard Rohr is a priest, a Jesuit priest, and he uh, speaks of joy, happiness and joy. And he says, happiness, when we go pursuing happiness, it's like chasing after a butterfly, where you almost get it and it just kind of flutters away. The more you chase happiness, the less you seem to get it. Joy is a little bit different, though. Joy is not something you go chasing after. Joy is something that you receive and that you Joy is something that wells up inside us. Joy is quite different than happiness. You don't pursue it. It comes to you. D.L. Moody described the difference between joy and happiness this way. He said, happiness is caused by things that happen around me. And sometimes those circumstances are good, but sometimes the circumstances can mar that happiness, can damage that happiness. And instantly happiness is gone. But joy, joy flows right through everything. Joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows through day. Joy flows through the night. Joy flows through persecution and opposition. Joy is this unceasing fountain that's bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring that the world can't see and doesn't know. Joy, the Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience. Joy is an interesting thing. We often forget that it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you go back and read what the fruit of the Spirit are, joy is listed there. It's a gift given to us. It's something that's given to us when we follow the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit and we trust Him. Joy is different than happiness. God promises in that passage uh, from Isaiah that the people uh, will be filled with joy, that joy will come, there will be joy, and it will fill the land. And if it fills the land then there's the possibility that it shows up in places we didn't expect. It might not be sitting there in the places that we would expect it to be. It comes in unexpected moments and in unexpected places. The passage says, God promises, uh, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy. And Joy springs forth from even the desert. Now, the people of, of Israel know what the desert's like. I mean, they're very close to a desert, and they've wandered through a desert. It's part of their history. Well, you and I may have never been to a desert before. We've never spent time there, but you can imagine what a desert looks like. We've all experienced them in some ways. Those places, those moments of dryness, those places where hope seems to have evaporated, places of death, places of anger, places of emptiness. They're barren lands that we just want to rush through as quickly as possible. Physical deserts are one thing, but those metaphorical deserts that we live in sometimes, you know what they're like. We've all been there. Leo Tolstoy's mother, he's the famous Russian author, he, um, he, his mom died at a very young age. His mom died when he was just a little. And he writes about going to the funeral and experiencing something completely unexpected. He, was, uh, he had a few moments before the funeral happened where he was just there with his mom's body. And so he was in this room, and it was an open casket, and he didn't really know what to do. And you can imagine how tragic of a moment that might be. A little boy, probably no more than five or six years old, with his mom, just passed away. And so he pulled up a chair to the casket and then got up on the chair because he couldn't see over the lip of the casket and he looked down on his mom. 
And he describes the emotions that he felt there and the experience that he had. And he says it wasn't really like an emotion he had ever experienced before. It was something much deeper. He had a strange sensation of peace in that moment. And he describes that moment as being a moment of bliss. A moment that was both grand and majestic, but also sad. When a man walked into the room to see what, what was going on, um, you know, he didn't, Tolstoy didn't know what to do, so he began to fake cry because he feared that if he didn't react that way, he was going to be seen as just kind of this evil little kid who was uh, like blissful at the passing of his mother. But it was an internal peace that he experienced there, an internal sense of joy. Joy in unexpected places because in that moment he was one with his mother, one with the world, one with God. There's sadness in the room, but there was also a sense that all was well. Joy hides in some of the places we don't expect, in the funeral parlor, in the desert. But joy has the power to transform the world. Joy has the power to change everything. In the passage from the scripture, you hear that joy accompanies those moments. Isaiah speaks of that day when the blind shall see and the deaf shall hear, and the lame shall walk, and the lepers shall be cleansed, the poor shall receive good news. Joy accompanies that moment. Joy is there for those people. I don't know if you've seen those videos. You probably have. Have you ever seen those videos where it's the person receiving the hearing aid for the first time? Their response is not necessarily one that's just of an emotional. It's a transcendence to where they connect with the world. I love particularly the one with the babies, where for the first time they have a hearing aid. They haven't been able to hear for the first five or six months of their lives. Their eyes are moving around. And then finally they put in that hearing aid and the mother can speak to her child and the child can hear it. And there's a giggle, a joy that just bursts forth. It's similar with the videos with the kids with the colorblind, people that are colorblind, and they put on the glasses for the first time, and they can connect to the world in a completely new way. It's joy that transforms their world, that changes it. Joy is a part of that great reversal that we've been talking about this whole series, the reversal of peace, where peace comes and takes over the world, takes over our relationships, takes over the way that we think. Justice comes, and justice is what rules where all people shall be treated equitably and the wolf shall lie with the lamb. Joy transforms the world. It's part of that great reversal, not just among human relationships, but all of the land, the crocus, the desert. They shall all burst forth with joy. A little girl uh, rushed home to, see, to tell her mother the good news it was early in December, and she rushes home, and she burst into the house because she had just earned a spot in the Christmas nativity play, and so she's excited to share that with her mother, so she bursts into the room, and she says, Mommy, I've earned, she's British, uh, Mommy, I've earned a spot in the Christmas play. And the mother just responds and says, congratulations, and there's a sense of, of joy there. And she says, yes, I've been cast as the lobster. The mother responds rather quizzically, the lobster in the nativity play. And she says, yes, but not just any lobster, first lobster. And her mother responds, there was more than one lobster at the birth of Jesus. She says, duh. 
It's that scene from Love Actually. You've seen the movie before. You know the excitement of the child with the lobster. And if you watch the movie, you'll find that the end of the movie with the nativity play, there's not just two lobsters there, but there's also a whale and an octopus that have made the trek into the hills of Bethlehem to witness the birth of Jesus. We're sometimes like Emma Thompson where we say the lobster as part of the nativity. Historically, it might not be accurate, but theologically, it's spot on. Let heaven and nature see. Even the lobster. So this man sits in a prison, and he's sitting there, and he's contemplating all that has happened in his life. And he's wondering if it was all worth it. Prisons, you know, are a lot like deserts. It's a lot like being lonely and completely alone. And you wouldn't expect much out of this prison, but their birth, birth forced joy. A couple of his friends had come and visited him in prison a few days before in one of his moments of doubt. And so he pulls together um, his friends and he says, I need you to go out into this world and get me a bit of information. Go find Jesus. Go find Jesus and ask him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? This man is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has committed his whole life to preaching the coming of Christ. And in his expectation, he had read the promises of Isaiah. He knew what it was going to look like. And for some reason, it just wasn't looking the way he had thought it was going to. So when John's friends come and they get to Jesus, Jesus doesn't respond the way you might expect him to. He doesn't say, I am the one who is to come. He says, take a look around. The blind can see. The lame can walk. The the lepers are cleansed. The deaf can hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. We don't really know what happens to John uh, immediately after this passage of Scripture, we know his ultimate fate. He is ultimately killed while in prison. But we don't know if these messengers ever got back to John to let him know what the good news, what was taking place, that joy was bursting forth all over the land. But in this really weird twist of the church, in this really weird twist, a kind of ultimate plot twist in the church history, John, this man who preaches fire and brimstone, repent, turn or burn, repent you brood of vipers. This man who seems very angry, in our church he's the patron saint of joy. And so I'd like to think that in that moment, the messengers did get back. And they came and they said, Jesus uh, told us to tell you, he didn't answer the question by the way, he just told us to tell you, hey, the deaf can hear, the blind can now see, The lame can now walk. The lepers are cleansed. And John began to smile because he knew that that was the promise of Isaiah. That that was the coming of joy. John began to relive those moments of all that he had preached, all that he had taught, and he realized that indeed the promise of God had come true in Christ. There shall be joy. And just as Isaiah 35 came true for all the deaf that could now hear, it came true once again in that prison cell, that desert of a wasteland 
where joy burst forth from John's heart. Because joy had come. The Lord had come. Amen.